My heart 
will build my life. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken, and I will.
I am truly glad to be here today. I'm stoked because, uh, as I said, I've been looking forward to this all week. So if I could have Barry and Case come forward, I'm going to baptize Case first. Little Case Porter, he's a small guy, but he's got a big personality. And uh, he's been looking forward to baptism for quite a while. In fact, he and his sister met with Justin Carpenter before uh, Justin moved down south. And we were going to baptize him right when COVID hit. And so uh, he's been anticipating this for quite some time, right? 
So he catches me in the foyer earlier, and he's like, because it's been a while since we talked, and he said, hey, I was going to remind me, what questions are you going to ask me? And I thought, I'm going to mess with this kid and give him some really fun questions, but I didn't. I just uh, shot him straight, and in case I'm super happy to get to baptize you today. So if you will, step in that water and sit on that brick. Yeah, I would, yeah. No shoes, man. Looking forward to baptizing his little sister, or I guess his twin sister, um, in what, a few weeks now? Looking forward to that. So um, in case we talked, I know that Justin talked to you about salvation and what this means, what we're doing here today, and so I want to ask you in front of all these people two questions. The first one is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Okay, and do you want to follow him as a disciple today? All right. Well, I'm excited for you, and because of your public profession of faith in him, In obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in his death. Raised to walk with him in a new life. There you go. Thank you. Sorry for you being so wet. Barry, come on, brother. Um, so last week I met this gentleman, Barry Teets, and uh, came forward at the end of the service. Are you going to do it with your shoes on or you want them off? Yeah, I would. Um, and I want to take a second to share with you story because this one had me, had me in tears um, after last week, and I've been anticipating getting to do this all week. But um, Barry came forward last week and said he wanted to be baptized. This is his third week here. So um, last week he heard about our baptism service today and said, I want to be baptized. And of course, I asked the question, you know, hey, when did you place your faith in Christ? And he thought a minute and he said, uh, Thanksgiving last year. I'm like, okay, well, so tell me the story. And, uh, um, you know, I think Thanksgiving last year when you placed your faith in Christ. But one year ago yesterday, Barry was in a motorcycle wreck in Amarillo. And a uh, lady blew through a stop sign and ran over Barry. And um, I think you said that you died twice. And um, they rescued his life, and he stands before you today, having gone through a year worth of recovery. And it was that uh, that context, whatever happened to, to you, that prompted you, that got you to that place where you were willing to recognize your need for Christ. And so what I shared with him last week was like, dude, do you realize God saved you twice? He saved you once physically so that he could save you spiritually. So I'm super honored to be able to baptize Barry today, and I know he's just excited um, as well, aren't you? All right, let's get it, brother. <coughs> long recovery, and this is a big day for you, bud. <clears throat> I got it for you, bro. <clears throat> you want to scoot that back, or are you good? <laughs> I had it scooted up for the kids, so. <clears throat> Barely, I bet, I... Barry, I barely know you. I just met you last week, but um, the decision that you made back in Thanksgiving and you know your public profession of faith today, that, that makes us brothers, and uh, I'm truly excited for uh, your decision today to be baptized, and I think with the whole church, um, this is a special, special day for you and us as well, and so I'm going to ask you the same two questions. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? All right, and do you want to follow him as a disciple today? Okay. Barry, it is my honor um, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because of your public profession of faith and in obedience to his command. So I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
buried with him in his death. Praise to walk with him in a new life. Need some help. First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to look at a couple of verses, um, we'll look in 2 Thessalonians, which will just be across the page, but um, last week we began a series called The End. Uh, with all the things that are going on around us in our world today, you know, many people are asking, hey, is this the end? Are we getting close to the end times? Um, and I know there are people that just get all over end time stuff, and so much so that they forget the fact that the Bible says that they will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another, not they will know that we're we are his disciples because we know a lot about end times prophecy. But there are some people that just really get into that, and, and I enjoy it, but at the same time, I don't want to focus so much on that that I forget living the way he wants us to live today, here, and now. Amen? And so we kicked it off last week, are these the last days? And like a kid will ask you, hey, how do we know when we're going to get there? What's the signs uh, that we're almost to the destination? And I mentioned that the disciples asked Jesus a similar question. How do we know when these things are going to come to pass? He had prophesied the destruction of the temple that they were walking by, which was huge. And they were, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of the end of the age and your return? And so Jesus uh, gives them that passage. It's the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24. And we shared that last week. And he says, there's a lot of things, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. There's um, just a, a, a great increase of all of those things. And he says, these are the beginning of birth pains. And, and you know, as birth pains come on, they start slower and maybe they're further spaced apart. But as they progress, they get more intense and they get closer and closer and closer together. And that's what Jesus said would happen towards the end of the days. And so uh, I gave you a quote last week from Greg Laurie. It says, um, there is no other generation that has been as close to the return of Christ as we are right now. And to that I say, hallelujah. Do you realize there are people probably today in this room that will be alive when Christ returns? Um, and that, what that means is we won't experience death. Have you ever considered that? Good. I, I, I'm glad one of you have. But I mean, I'm just thinking about um, I heard, I think it was James Dobson one time said uh, that he, he actually wants to die before Christ returns because it's like saying nanny, nanny, boo-boo to death whenever you're raised from the grave and ascending in the presence of God. And so um, I, I just love the idea of knowing that God loves us enough that he gives us a heads up of what is coming, what to look forward to. Um, and so last week we talked about the bigger question was not are we there yet, but are we ready to be there? Are we prepared to be in the presence of God? Well, today, I, I want to ask you the question, what's next? Now, as I mentioned, the, the road trips that we take as families, one of the questions that my kids was asked as we're driving along the road, we would take a, a back road to Oklahoma to go visit family, and we would hit Clarendon, and one of the kids would say, where are we at? We're in Clarendon. What's next? And we're like, well, Headley, we're going to turn off there. Okay, then what's next? We'll go through a little town called Quail. Well, what's next? And they would just so on and so forth. As you're on a journey, you want to know what's, what's coming up next. And I think that there's a, a similar question floating around today in our hearts. And as we consider end times, Bible prophecy, all the junk that's going on in our world today, the question is, what's next? What do we expect to happen on the prophetic calendar or the prophetic timeline um, as we live out this, uh, this life, what is next? 
And so I want to share with you what I believe with all my heart is next. What is my hope? Why I believe it and why I think it's important for us as a church. Um, And so I will start by saying that most Christians say most. That doesn't mean all, right? There are some that don't agree, but most Christians will agree on three things. Number one, that there will be a future time of tribulation. Uh, There's going to be a future time when God's judgment is going to be poured out on the earth. And boy, don't we see that coming. With all the wickedness that's around us, we're thinking, man, it's just heaping up and heaping up. God's judgment is going to come. Most Christians believe that there is a time of God's judgment in the future called tribulation. We believe it's a seven-year tribulation, literally. It's a time of God's wrath. They also believe and agree that um, after that tribulation, Jesus will return to establish his kingdom. Um, It's going to be a glorious return, a powerful return, the return of Christ at the end of. In fact, it'll close out the seven-year tribulation. Christ will return and set up his kingdom. Again, I believe it is a literal kingdom, not figurative, not symbolic. And the reason I believe that is because there were promises that God made years ago to Abraham and to David about future things that would happen, and, and God keeps his promises. Amen? And so there's some promises that have not been fulfilled yet, some prophecies that have not been fulfilled out yet that I believe will be recognized in a literal kingdom uh, that will be established on the earth. So most Christians agree that there's a a, a literal millennial kingdom, uh, a time when Jesus will establish it. And again, most believers also agree uh, that we as believers will be translated from our mortal state to their immortal state. Why? Because uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit perfection and kingdom, so we have to be changed, whether it's through death and the resurrection or if we're alive when Christ returns, it's in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Amen? Some of you guys are going to get a whole lot better looking and a lot healthier, right? Uh, but there's this thing that we, most Christians agree on these three things, um, the future of the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, and that there's going to be this huge transformation where translated from the mortal state to the immortal one. Well, as you consider the journey, and we're asking what is next, my conviction is, and most Christians believe, and we've heard for years, uh, this idea of one word called rapture. Have you heard that word? So if you look for the word rapture in the Bible, in the English, you won't won't see the word rapture unless you have a Latin Bible. Um, You'll see how it was translated from the Greek text, um, arpazo, to raptura. We get our English word rapture. But the idea of rapture is in the scriptures. um, It's translated out of the Greek arpazo, which means caught up, literally to be snatched away. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, I've told this story before, when I was a kid, I was raised in church, and and they talked often about Christ's return, and they talked about a rapture. Jesus alluded to this in Matthew 24. He says, two people will be working in a field, one will be taken, and one left. Two women will be working at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left. And to make matters worse, the the movie before LaHaye and those guys came out with their movies, uh, there was a movie that came out called Left Behind. Anybody saw that one probably back in the 70s? It scared the snot out of me. So I remember watching that movie, and I'm just thinking, what, I just don't want to be left behind. If Jesus is coming for his people, I want to be counted among his people. Amen? I want to be there. When, when Gabriel toots, I want to scoot, right? Beam me up, Jesus. I don't want to be left behind. And so one day I come home from school, and um, you know, as I normally did, and I always had this habit as a kid, I would go watch Spider-Man back when it was good, um, and I would make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I would sit in front of the TV, and I would just spend time watching my favorite cartoons. 
But I came home one day and, and the place was unusually quiet. Mom wasn't there like she had been every other time. And my dad, you know, he was kind of in and out driving a truck. But I remember just thinking, because my mind was on that, hearing recently about rapture, I thought, hmm, mom, no answer. Mom, you know, and you start, and your mind starts playing through things. You're like, oh, shoot, I done missed it, right? And I just remember being so worried, and mom never answered. I don't know where she's at. And so finally I thought, you know, who's the most spiritual person I know? I need to call them, and if they answer the phone, I'm good. And so I remember calling my grandma. And uh, Grandma Martha White, not the baker, um, but, but Martha White was my grandma. And she, uh, I, I called the phone, and she says, like she did, hello. And I was like, we're good. Well, scared me a little bit then. Does anybody else have had one of those deals where you're just worried about one day the rapture happens and you're worried about being left behind? So uh, there's this idea of a rapture uh, taking away a catching up of the church. And as I said, the word rapture you won't find in the Bible, but you won't find the word trinity in the Bible either. And we all believe and agree in the doctrine of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and those, those three are one, right? So just because the word's not there doesn't mean it's not there. And so uh, Jesus alluded to it in the Olivet Discourse, uh, when one would be taken, the other one would be left behind. Um, and, and so what is this rapture? Who's it for? And when does it happen? And this is where we get into big debate and people will uh, you know, kind of go back and forth on when they think all these things will take place. So Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. It was, uh, we believe it was one of the first ones written. It was the first letter that he wrote in approximately AD 50. So it's the first letter that he wrote, and in this letter, he's praising the Thessalonian church. I mean, they're good people. They're, they're serving God. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're staying strong under persecution, and he's just praising them and how everybody's talking about their faith all over. And in chapter 1, it says, and they, talking about people that are talking about them, it says, they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. And so there's this idea to understand what a rapture is and what the purpose of it is, we have to understand what are we being raptured from. And so, as I said, most people believe there is a time coming, a time of judgment, seven-year tribulation, God's wrath poured out on mankind. If you open your Bible to Revelation, you start in chapter 6 all the way through 19. Many people believe that is a very descriptive account, um, a lot of symbolism in there, but of all that's going to take place during a great time of tribulation. And so Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church, and they understand that um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was, was crucified on the cross, was raised again, hallelujah, for the gospel. Um, and so they're in Christ, and they realize that he's the one that rescues us from the terrors of the coming judgment or from the wrath to come. That's what is called the, the, the time of uh, tribulation, a time of wrath. Um, and, and so in chapter 4, they're talking about the resurrection and how we will be uh, raised to life, we'll be with uh, Jesus or actually how we're going to be with Jesus when he comes. And so naturally they're kind of concerned about whether um, their loved ones who had passed on will miss out on that. It's like if Jesus is going to return, what about uh, you know, my brother or my sister or my mom or my dad or my grandparents that passed away? And so Paul gives this very encouraging uh, passage of Scripture in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. There are people who grieve who have no hope. Hope is a confident expectation of a future event. Paul says, I don't want you to grieve like people who have no hope. 
And he says in verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, do you believe that this morning? That Jesus uh, was crucified, he died, he was raised to life again. It says, and so we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. What a crazy day that would be. Verse 17, it says, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up, harpazo, rapture, we will be caught up in the clouds, say clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, say in the air. So, so we know that Jesus is coming back. I think Zechariah talks about Jesus coming back and his feet are actually going to touch the Mount of Olives. There's a physical, literal, glorious, powerful, everyone's going to see the magnificent return of Christ. And he's going to land on the earth, physically be there. But here in this passage, he talks about how we will be gathered to him, caught up, snatched away in the clouds to meet the Lord in the, in the air. And then he says, then we will be with the Lord forever. And he goes on to say, so encourage each other with these words. He wanted them to be encouraged that there is this salvation, there's this hope that Jesus is going to return for his, his bride. Amen? Are you resting in that hope today? That one day Jesus is going to come and, and, and we know that there's some terrible things ahead for this world, but the, the hope that we have is in the hope that Christ is going to come for his church and he's going to rescue us. Uh, from the coming judgment. So when does this all uh, take place? In fact, there's, I think it's 1 Thessalonians, John 14, 2 Corinthians 15, I believe it is. Uh, maybe it's 1 Corinthians 15 that, that talks about some of these resurrection passages of Scripture. And so there's debate on when this is going to take place. Some will say uh, that the rapture of the church is going to be at the end of the tribulation. So in other words, there's going to be seven years of chaos like the world has never experienced before on the earth. And at the end, or toward the end, God's going to rescue his, his church um, in, in a rapture. I do not agree with that stance. They've got some points that they use, but there's a lot of unanswered questions um, as well. And so I do not believe the church will be uh, raptured. If you want to show them that graph, um, the graphic that I, I had... Um, if you can make sense of that. There's a lot of people that believe towards the end of the tribulation, post-tribulation rapture of the church. What that means is the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. He's going to make a treaty with Israel. Halfway through that seven years, he's going to break that treaty. Um, he, he's going to set up himself as a god and command and demand everybody to worship him. And then it's going to get extremely hard after that. It's called the Great Tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. So the church would go through all of that. And yet, if you go a little bit further in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Or another way is, For God has not appointed us under wrath, but to receive salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I don't believe it's the post-tribulation rapture. Some will say the mid. Now, they, they break this up, and not really mid, but they believe like chapter 6 of Revelation is when uh, the wrath happens, but it's not God's wrath, it's man's or the Antichrist's wrath. Uh, but if you go back and look at who was worthy to open the scrolls, no one was except Jesus. And so Jesus is the one that begins. He kicks it all off in chapter 6. 
breaking of the seal and all that judgment begins to happen and so they would say well after man's judgment before God starts pouring out the bowls uh, you know of his wrath then we'll be raptured in the middle of that and I just can't find uh, a lot of hope and and a lot of support in scriptures there either Um, and let me just tell you I, I hope I guess I'll hope that it's not that way because I believe many people once they experience any tribulation at all will be like "Mm -mm, it's too hard and I'm out and so the hope that I hold on to is a pre-tribulation rapture before tribulation hits that Christ will return and he will snatch us up away from his uh, time of great wrath that he's going to be pouring on the earth amen you don't have to agree with that. You don't have to, to believe uh, that yourself. And, and I've got friends that are really good friends, some that are saying, I don't even believe in a literal millennial kingdom. Uh, it's all millennial. I've got another friend that doesn't believe that um, we'll be raptured out. He thinks it will go through the whole tribulation. And I love them both dearly. They're both great men of God. They're both very smart. And I look at one of them and said, buddy, I hope you're wrong. And he'll say, I do too. I hope I'm wrong. And so this hope that I have today is that, and this what I look forward to is the next event to take place. Like, what's next? I believe there's nothing else that needs to happen before Christ returns for his church. What, a, what an exciting thing to think about, amen? That, that we are just going through life and wondering how bad it's going to get. And to know that Jesus is going to return for his bride. He's going to rapture the church out so that we are sheltered from, protected from this time of God's wrath poured out on the earth, a seven-year tribulation. We'll talk about that next week, break it down, and then the following week we'll talk about what are we as a church going to be doing during that time of tribulation on the earth. I'll let David cover that one, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the millennial kingdom um, after that. And so just getting an idea uh, of what um, is in the future for um, this this world and so the tribulation uh, is a specific eschatological time of trouble a special time of judgment from God that will come upon the entire world it'll be unprecedented in its affliction and will be culminated by the personal return of Jesus Christ to the earth there are people that say we're gonna we're through there are people that believe we're in the tribulation now and I'm like, I don't agree with that because the Bible says it's going to be a time like that's never been on the earth before, nor will it ever be again. I do not believe we're in the middle of a tribulation now. Now, Jesus did say in this world you will have tribulation. So that's like um, th- th- there's just a lot of stuff that we deal with here and now. But there is a time of great tribulation coming. And it's my conviction and my belief that the church has not been appointed to that, but to receive salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I say, one of the most important decisions you make is placing your faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? So who will be a part of the rapture? Only those who believe in Christ. Only those who trust in him for salvation. So it is a believer's rapture. And I believe it is a pre-tribulation. Um, and and for, the, for the reasons I, I've stated before. Um, and the cool news is, where will we be? It says that we'll be with the Lord. Let's look back at that verse. In verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died. You know what this tells me? The significance of the rapture is uh, that the rapture means no death. Even though there may be a temporary experience of death, uh, that it means there is no death. The dead in Christ will rise. Amen? I, I got so many people that I've watched slip off into eternity, and we've, we've buried them, we've had their memorial services, and it just brings me comfort to know that one day, those that are dead who have placed their faith in Christ will rise 
Again, you say, I don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. You've got to go back to Paul, and when he talked about to people that didn't believe in a resurrection, he said, if there is no resurrection, we're in big trouble. But because we believe that Jesus himself was raised from the grave, we also believe that he will raise us up also. And so uh, there will be a great time of resurrection. It means there's no death. It also means that there's going to be a reunion. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of great people who've gone on before us that I long to see um, again. It says, then together with them, with them, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And then we'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. That's kind of encouraging, isn't it? Second Corinthians talks about how fast this stuff takes place. Paul says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Remember, this mortal body cannot inherit perfection. And so we'll need to be changed. We'll need to be transformed. Why? He says, because um, he says it in verse 50, uh, physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So we need to be changed. He says, it's a wonderful secret. Not all will die, but all will be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye or the twinkle of an eye. I can blink pretty fast, uh, but it gives us the idea of a twinkle, which is so fast. Transformation. It says, when the last trumpet is blown. Now, some people say, ah, last trumpet. Last trumpet at the end of the, uh, the tribulation. What does it mean by the last trumpet? And you hear all this talk of trumpets. But I think what Paul was using here was a military term, an idea of the military. They would blow a trumpet. The first trumpet was like, all of you gather and we're getting ready to go to battle. And they'd have another trumpet blast that would signal you know, the attack. But there was that last trumpet. And when the last trumpet was blown, it was a time of rest. It's a time to rest from the battle. How many of you know that we're engaged in a spiritual battle today? And I'm looking forward to that last trumpet that will, will, will blow, and this means it's a time to rest from that spiritual warfare. It's a time to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I so look forward to that. This is when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that brings a results in death, and the law gives it, it, gives it its power. But thank God he gives us victory. Say victory. So he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in Christ today? Have you placed your faith in Christ today? And if you, if you have, then you're in this place of, of just beautiful privilege. You can hold on to a hope today in the midst of a chaotic world wondering what's going on next. I look with an absolute confidence that Christ will return for his bride. And that is the hope that is worth holding on to. Amen. So I, I want to transition and close with John chapter 14 another one of these passages that alludes to and we could go on revelation um you know for some people revelation chapter 1 through 3 um just it's just interesting the word church is mentioned i think it's 19 times in the first 3 chapters of revelation chapter 4 verse 1 when 
Paul, or Paul, John um, says, I heard a voice that says, come up here. And he was raptured or brought up into the heavens to see the things, to hear the things that were going on now and the things that would come in the, in the future. And so from verse um, 1 of chapter 4 all the way through the book of Revelation until the very, very, very last chapter, there's zero mention of the church, which we believe that is what tells us what the tribulation is going to be like. And so some of us look at that and go, <laughs> woo, there you go. So not here, praise God for that. So John chapter 14, Jesus is comforting his disciples, and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, there's a lot of things going on in the world today that could trouble our hearts. How can you not be troubled when you, when you hear? How many of you have seen the, uh, the whole the, the Pizzagate thing? I don't want to get too graphic for kids, but the, all the stuff, in the, even the shirts that are being sold in our local supermarkets, there's some very vile and wicked things going on right under our noses. Church is getting, it's getting bad, it's getting exposed, but all the, the wickedness, that's going on, how can you not get a little troubled in your heart when you hear and when you see these things? I believe Jesus gives us some reasons here in John chapter 14. First off, he commands, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's not a suggestion. He said, hey, don't, don't, don't be worried about it. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. That's also a command. And he says, trust also in me. He can be trusted, church. God is, is faithful, and he's faithful to his word, and we can absolutely trust him. We can take him at his word. And that's what he's saying. Hey, you trust God? Trust me. I'm about to tell you something, and I want you to believe it. I want you to trust me. We can take him at his word. Another reason that we should be able to not be troubled in, in, in these crazy times is, um, he goes on, he says, there is more than enough room in my father's home, or some of your versions will say, there are many mansions he says, if this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a, a place for you. And so we have this hope of heaven. We have the hope that what we're experiencing here on this earth is not the end. You know, death is not the end. And this earth that we live in, all we experience is not the end. We have the hope of heaven. Are you hoping in heaven today? Are you hoping in this idea that, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like. I used to think about, you know, um, I read the, the, the King James Version. It said mansions, and I'm like, I've never been in a mansion before. That'd be cool. And I read the NIV and it says rooms. I'm like, mm-mm, that's too crowded. I don't want a room. I want a mansion. I don't care if it's a tent in the backyard at this point, right? I just want to be at home with the Lord. But he said there's more than enough room. And I have this hope that one day when all this is over, whether it's through death or whether it's just the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, that I will be with the Lord. Not because I'm good. Not because I've worked really hard, but because I simply put my faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says there's a, a place for us in heaven. We have this hope. He goes on to say, if I go there to prepare a place for you, listen to this, verse 3, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am and you know the way to where I'm going. So he's got this place. He's preparing for us, and when it's ready, he will come again. There's, there's a picture there. He's going to come. He's going to come to receive us to his own. And he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. I, I just covered this passage a few weeks ago, so I don't want to go into it de too deep, but you remember Thomas says, how do we know where you're going? Give us directions. We don't know how to get to where you're at. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. And listen, I, again, I don't consider myself an expert. I don't consider myself to understand everything eschatology. Uh, but the one thing I hope in 
And I put my, my trust is in, in his ability to save me. Not in my ability to work hard enough to earn it, but in his ability, in his alone. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that everything that needed to happen for me to be made in a right relationship with God the Father happened on the cross. Christ plus nothing. And I am absolutely convinced that he who began a good work in me is going to bring it to fruition. And when it's all over with, that he loves us. And if he's not appointed us under wrath, but to receive salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord, I am absolutely hopeful and looking forward to that day. That's why I say when I'm driving down the road, I see the clouds and I start getting a little giddy and excited thinking, could this be the day? One day he's coming for the church. And the question like last week is, are you ready? Are you prepared? If you're here today and you've placed your faith in Christ, that's awesome. But what, how does that change your perspective? Do you have an anticipation? Do you have a hope, an eager expectation of a future event? Are you hoping in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you standing on that hope today? Does it bring you peace when you watch all the world around you crumbling to know that God's got everything under control and he has a plan? It should bring us peace, comfort, and hope. If you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Christ, I'll say it like I do all the time, that that is the most important thing that we need to nail down is will you trust in Jesus for salvation? And there's the thing, he's no respecter of persons. He doesn't wait to get your life cleaned up and where you're living right and then he'll work on you. He want you to come as you are. The Bible says that while we were in the middle of our sin, Christ died for us. That's good news, church. It means anybody who comes and calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you placed your faith in him today? Let's pray. Father, I'm just, I'm humbled, uh, Lord, by your awesomeness, Lord, just by the fact that you love us enough and your plan that, that we try to dig in, we try to dissect and we try to figure it out and these scholars go back and forth trying to make sense of eschatology and end times and Lord, you just you lay some things out that seem clear to us and then some things are kind of confusing and we just want clarity. And Father, no matter whether it's mid, pre, post, Lord, the most important thing is that we're in Christ. And so God, I thank you that you've made a way for us to be in Christ, to be made right with you through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Father, I pray that today if we are in Christ, that we will be in confidence as well, uh, that you've got a plan, that you're trustworthy, and that we can take you at your word. And Lord, that when everything else seems like it's spinning out of control, you are in control and you've got a plan. And Lord, I pray that we look with an eager expectation. Lord, we're waiting for that salvation to appear. We're not waiting on judgment with eager expectation. Lord, we're waiting for your salvation to come to us. And so Father, I pray that you would just put a, a pep in our step as we continue to walk through this, uh, this life that we will, we will know that, uh, Lord, you love us and you've provided a way of escape, if you will, from a coming judgment on this world. And Father, I just thank you for that. Even though we don't understand it fully, I thank you for the hope that we have in the rapture of the church. And Father, in the, in the meantime, while we wait, uh, Lord, eagerly expecting your return, I pray that we would be mindful of those who are not in you or not place their faith in the gospel. Father, that you'd put a sense of urgency in each one of our hearts. Father, that we would pray and we would bring them before your throne and that we would seize the moment or the opportunity and make the most of the opportunity in these evil days and that we will shine your light even brighter now than before knowing that the days are coming close. Uh, your, your return is imminent. 
So, Father, we ask that you would just help us to uh, be mindful of that, to not uh, get slack in living our lives worthy of the calling you've called us to, but that we would just crank it up, Lord, and we would live for you fearlessly in confidence and with that great expectation that you uh, will keep your word and you will return for your bride. Lord, I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.